Well, I've enjoyed these few hours of wonderful fellowship and enjoyed hearing so much, as I mentioned last night, the wonderful preaching by my brethren who've been speaking on this platform. I, um, last night during the early part of the service, I began to get a little bit ill, a little bit sick. I assure you it was not uh, Dr. Nelson's sermon because that helped me a lot. And I was sick a little bit during the night. I think I said something about Oral Roberts yesterday and maybe the Lord's punishing me. And I want to, I want to apologize for that because I may need him before the day is over. But I've enjoyed being here. And uh, I mean this with all of my heart. This place and these dear people here, this wonderful work of God has a very dear and precious place in my heart and in, in that of my dear wife. There's never a day goes by in our lives, and it's been 52 years this September since I walked onto the campus of Bob Jones College in Cleveland, Tennessee. But there's never a day goes by, I don't think, but what we mentioned, Dr. Bob Jones, senior, junior, Bob Jones III, or this college, what it meant to us, the indelible impression it made on our lives for good and for God. And so it's been good to be here and to be with our friends whom we love, the sword of the Lord people. Now, I have some good news for you this morning, good news. I, in about 25, 28 minutes from now, I have to walk off this platform and go to catch a plane. I think that's good news for you. Uh, I'm going to have to preach fast. But if you don't listen fast, it won't make any difference how fast I preach. But I will have to leave. I have to get home today and preach tonight. But it's been a joy to be with you, you dear people here in this conference. I want to ask you a question before I read the scripture. I want to help you with something God has helped me with. And I mean that. God has wonderfully helped me in my life with what I'm going to ask you about. I wonder how many of you people this morning sitting here, you have some loved one uh, who is lost or some friend, someone close to you who yet is not saved. You know, God wonderfully helped me with that thing. I, I, I love the Lord for what he did for, for me about the salvation of my father. I preached 25 years, my father lost. I saw hundreds, maybe thousands of fathers saved. And one night when I saw a father saved and the joy of his family, uh, three of his children and their wives, six people, and his wife, when I saw the joy of seven people because a dad was saved, that night God did something in my life. He broke my heart. I'd done all the things I thought that a person could do. All the tracks, all the praying, all the telephoning, all the personal witnessing. My father was on his way to hell. But that night, God broke my heart. God made me desperate about the soul of my loved one and uh, did something for me. In a 24-hour period, God did something for me I wouldn't take anything in the world for. My father was saved three days later. Just like that, he trusted the Lord as his personal Savior. 
And I want to ask you, how many of you this morning, you have someone that's near and dear and precious to you who yet is lost? They're without God. They're on their way to hell. You love them. You want them saved. I, this is not to trick you or embarrass you. How many have someone? Let's see your hand. Just raise them this morning. Oh, my. God bless you. And I'm going to pray for you that God will help you. And I want to talk to you this morning about getting a hard case saved. I mean, someone not easy to win. And let's read in Mark chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. Now I want you to remember where Jesus was when this wonderful thing took place. He was in the house of Simon Peter. You say, how do you know? Thank you for read verses 29 30 of the previous chapter. You'll see that Jesus in Capernaum went to the house of Peter, and Peter's mother-in-law was wonderfully healed of a fever in that house. You know, some people say that Peter was the first pope. I know that's not true. Popes have traditionally been Italian. Peter was a Jew. Popes have traditionally been rich and wealthy. Peter said, silver and gold have I none. Uh, popes have traditionally been unmarried, that is, as far as we know. But Peter had a mother-in-law, and a man that get a mother-in-law and not get a wife is a fool. And he doesn't, he doesn't have sense enough to be a pope. And so I know Peter was not the first pope. Had nothing to do with it. Uh, let me read on. When you get my age, while you're reading, things come to your mind, and you stop and deal with them. Straightway many were gathered together, insomuch there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they'd broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And this is the first of four questions in this chapter. If you look, look them up, search them out, and study them. Four questions in this chapter, all by his critics. And all have to do, all have to do with his relationship or his dealing with sinners who needed to be saved. One in verse 7, one in verse 16, one in verse 18, one in verse 24. All the, all the questions by the critics of Jesus had to do with his love for the lost and his efforts to get people saved. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? And who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived 
in his spirit that they so reason within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose and took up the bed and went forth before them all insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. May I read to you again verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, mark it in your minds, mark it in your, in your heart, mark it in your souls, not the faith of the man that was brought, but the faith of the people who brought him. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Here's the wonderful miracle of a man born of four, four neighbors perhaps who brought this man. They were gripped with a great truth and a great obsession as the preacher preached about yesterday morning. They had this great conviction in their heart. Here's a man who needs Jesus. Our responsibility, our duty in, is to get him to Jesus. If we can just get him to Jesus, uh, Jesus knows what to do. Jesus has never failed. Jesus will save this man. Our responsibility is to get him to Jesus. We can't save him. We cannot heal him. We cannot do anything but get him to Jesus. That we must do. If we do that, the Lord knows what to do with him. And Jesus will save him. You know, the Lord majors and majors in hard cases. Some of you are thinking this morning, I prayed so long, witnessed so long. I've longed for so many years for someone I know to be saved. Why doesn't God save them? I want to tell you, don't give up. Here are some men. You know, they could have taken one or two or three options. They could have said, well, we've done our best. We brought him. We can't get him in the house because of the great crowd. And they might have given up. But remember, friend, the Bible says, be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Keep on praying. Keep on living right. Keep on witnessing. Keep on loving. Keep on weeping. Don't give up. God will save that person. I say majors in hard cases. You know, these, these four men might have said, well, we'll wait a while. Maybe this isn't the time. But I want to remind you, Jesus said, the night cometh. Oh, today, if we could have God burn those words upon our heart. The night cometh. I believe there are days of opportunity. Golden hours and days that God gives to us. But the shades of night will soon be gone. I may be preaching to someone this morning who unless you win your loved ones soon will win them not at all. Jesus said, Work while it is day. For the night cometh when no man can work. They might have said, well, this is not the time. It's always time to win souls and to reap the harvest and to get people saved. They might have said, well, 
We, we must act immediately. And that's what they did. They went up on the roof and they broke up the roof. And you, you know the story as well as I do. I've often to imagine, tried to imagine what people around there said. When they saw four men do something they'd never seen done before, they saw them start of tearing up the roof of the house. Jesus is in that house. There, there are a lot of religious leaders in that house. There's a great crowd of people. And here are four men tearing through the roof of the house. Well, I'm sure that somebody said, now I wonder if this has been voted on. No, listen, you don't vote on whether or not to win people to Christ. That's already been voted on. It was voted on by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit when Jesus died on the cross, you don't need to vote on that. Somebody might have said, well, you know, this is going to cost some money. And uh, people always say that. Listen, you don't measure the value of a soul in dollars and cents. It doesn't make any difference what it costs if we get people saved. But here four men said, we don't care what people say. We don't care if it's never been done this way before. We're going to break up something. If that's what it takes, to get a man to Christ. And I might say to you this morning, if God uses broken things. They broke a roof. They broke tradition. But you know, God sometimes must break wills and break hearts before the answer comes and somebody gets saved. Well, I remember years ago, I was speaking in a revival for Dr. Henniger in Canton, Ohio. And a man came to me in the early day, the very first day or two of the revival. It's been over 30 years ago. He said to me, Preacher, would you go with me to see a man? I've been trying to win to the Lord for a long time. I haven't been able to win him. Would you go with me to see him? I said, I'll be happy to. And so he made arrangements to take me. He had no sooner left me than someone came. You know, the devil sends people sometimes. Someone came and said, Now, preacher, you're going to be holding a revival, and you're going to be busy, and you may not have time to go. This man's taken literally dozens of preachers to see this, this lost man he's talking about. I knew then God wanted me to go. When they said, Well, you may be too busy. You may not want to go. You don't have to go unless you want to. I knew the Lord wanted me to go. So he picked me up. I went to a veteran's home, and when we went in, now, so help me, this is the truth. I'm not uh, preaching to you right now. I'm telling you the truth. Uh, this, uh, as we went in that veteran's home, started down the hallway to a certain room, there came a lady, nurse, dressed in white, literally hurrying out of the room. And she said to this man whom she knew, this good man had been there time after time. She said, if you're coming to see John today, let me warn you, he's in a bad humor. He just threw a water pitcher in his room against the wall. But this man just kept going. And I very courageously just followed right close behind him. And we walked in that room, and there he was. I can see him now. He had a head, full head of, of gray hair. And uh, he was shaking uh, that um, head of hair upon his pillow and filling the room with blasphemy. And my friend who took me said to him, John, I brought Brother Malone to see you today. We want you to be saved. He said, I've told you 
Don't bring any more preachers to see me. If I need a preacher, send for him. I don't want any more. I've told you over and over again. He shook that shaggy head upon that pillar and blasphemed the name of God. And finally, this man said, well, let us pray. I prayed. I felt like all the time I was praying. Never closed his eyes. Never heard a word I said. And the man said, very discouraged, come on, Brother Tom, we'll, just, we'll have to go. So we walked out and I went back to my motel room. And Mrs. Malone was there. I said to my wife, here we are here in this town to hold a revival, to conduct a revival, to see people saved, to do the work of God. And I feel like the greatest failure in the world. I just was in the presence of a man soon going to die. He was a veteran of World War I. I said he's going to die. And I could not even reach him with one word of the truth. I said, could, could we pray? My wife and I got down on our knees in that motel room. And I said, oh, Lord, I'm here to hold a revival and to see people saved, and it's going to do something to me unless you give me this man's soul and save him. I called a taxi. I said to him, take me out to the, out to the certain place, the veteran's home. He took me out, and I walked in that room, and when I did, that man looked at me and said, You again? And I went over to him. Now listen, I know the Romans road. And I've used it hundreds of times. But that man had heard the Romans road over and over again. I walked up to him and I said, John, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever known a Christian? He said to me, Well, I, I guess you'd say I have. I said, Who was it? He said, it was my mother. I said, where is your mother? He said, uh, what do you mean, where is my mother? I said, where is your mother now? You say, you believe your mother was a Christian. Where is your mother now? He said, well, she came from West Virginia, but my mother's dead. I said, your mother was a Christian and she's died. You know where she is? She's in heaven. I said, would you like to go to heaven? Lips began to tremble, tremble. Those deep sockets in his face where his eyes were began to fill with tears. And he said to me, more than anything in the world, and in less time than it takes to tell it, I saw that man say, oh, I'm saying to you this morning, God majors in hard cases. You take them one by one. You think Nicodemus was a e easy to lead to the Lord? Had all the religion anybody could ever have. Didn't, didn't come to talk to Jesus about getting saved in the first place. He came because he saw the miracles, which he did. But he needed a miracle in his own life, but he didn't know it. You think the woman at the well was an especially easy case? The woman who had five husbands living with one who now is not her own? No, none of the cases were easy. You think Zacchaeus, that little crooked politician, that up that sycamine tree that day, you think he was in an easy case? Robbed people and was an extortionist and a crooked politician. You think he was easy? Oh, thank God today. The Lord majors in hard cases. Now, I'm going to give you a little outline. It's not mine. It may be someone's in this room. I don't think it is because I've had it 
longer than most of you are old. I don't think it's yours. But I want to give you a little outline. And even if it were, it wouldn't embarrass me. I've said a lot of times and listened to people preach my sermons, and I've said to the Lord, well, they sure are doing a lot better job with it than I ever did. Thank God they got a hold of it. So I want to give you a little outline. Uh, here, here in this scripture, you see the helpless one. You see the helping ones. You see the hindering ones, and you'll always have them. Then you see, thank God, the healing one. You know, there was a helpless one. Something I believe we need to believe this morning is that sinners cannot do anything without our help. I mean the matter of getting saved. Oh, way with this, this teaching that if God's going to save someone, He doesn't need us. Man doesn't need to do anything. You don't get that out of the Bible. I want to tell you something this morning. You don't get that hyper-Calvinism. You don't get that Calvinistic attitude out of the Bible that God will save them without man's help. You don't get that out of the Bible. You get that because some preachers have done some hermeneutical gymnastics with the Scripture. That's where that comes from. You don't get it out of the Bible. I'm remembering Jesus said to the man at the pool of Bethesda, Will you be made whole? My heart almost breaks when I think of his answer. Sir, I have no man. When the waters are troubled to put me into the pool, what's he saying? Oh, the waters have been troubled and others have been, been healed. But he said, while I'm scrabbling my way across these stones, another goes down before me and I can't get in the pool. He said, yes, I want to be healed. You think I enjoy laying here with these twisted limbs and this, this sick body? Sure, I want to get in the pool, sir. I have no man. I believe that's the cry of a many a lost soul this morning. I believe there are many, many unsaved people in America who are saying, well, why doesn't some Christian come to my door? My heart's hungry. My, I'm lonely. I need to be saved. Here was a man who said, sure, I need to be saved, but I need help. You see, the Bible doesn't teach that God does not use human agency. Why, when the Lord said to Philip, go down across the desert, and by the way, he was holding a citywide meeting. I'd like to hear some, uh, some evangelists explain why they just couldn't do what the Lord said. Lord, this is a citywide meeting, hundreds of people are being saved here. But the Lord said, leave it, go down across the desert and join thyself to a, to a man in his chariot. When he did, he found him reading the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. He led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before a sheriff is dumb. So he opened not his mouth, and he said to him, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said pitifully, pitifully, how can I accept some man should guide me? See, he'd been to Jerusalem where Pentecost took place, and it wasn't more than a year after Pentecost where thousands of Christians were, but no one won him. He had the Scriptures in his hand, but he didn't get saved. He needed, he said, how can I understand this without some man guide me? I, listen, I want to tell you this morning, God has no part in this thing. 
that people will get saved without people, other people, Christian people, doing anything about it. I have in my hands this morning, you're holding in your hands a holy Bible. This is God's book. It's God's holy, impeccable word. How'd we get it? One day God spoke to men. He spoke to Moses and others down across the Old Testament scriptures. He spoke to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul. And he said to them, You write what I tell you, and you write these words. I have a Bible here. This is God's book. How'd we get it? God used men to write it. Oh, don't come to me with this stuff. Uh, just sit down, fold your hands. Uh, what, uh, what God is going to do, He'll do without your help. No, that isn't true. There are a lot of people like the psalmist who said, I looked on my right hand and my left and so, so forth, and no man cared for my soul. What we need today is a man or a woman who has a broken heart because someone is lost and needs to get them saved. Well, I was holding a meeting in a, in a uh, large city in Ohio uh, years ago. Monday night, the auditorium seated about 600 people is filled. I preached that night, and when it came to the close of the service, I did what I always do. I said, um, I want to pray for you if you need you need prayer, if you need help from God. Three people raised their hand. Second seat on the uh, second row on the aisle sat a young lady. She lifted her hand. Back here to my left, a man raised his hand. Over here, another. I started uh, giving the invitation. No one made a move. No one spoke to anyone. No one came. I started to step down toward the young lady. She saw me coming. She had her handkerchief to her eyes. She was weeping. But she saw me coming, and she stepped toward me, and I took her by the hand, brought her to the altar. I went back here, and I said to a man, you raised your hand. Uh, you need to be saved. Uh, we love you. Want to, want to see you saved. He said, that's what I need. He said, I'm, I'm a member of the Presbyterian Church, but I'm not saved. So I, I took him by the hand, brought him. I went back here, and I said to a man, would you like to be saved? I want to help you. Now come with me. Let's go. Let's accept the Lord right now. Came just like that. Three people came. All three of them were saved. Afterwards, the pastor said to me, Now, preacher, we're glad to have you. We invited you because we want you. But I want to say something to you. That won't work here. He said it just won't work in this place. We do not do that here. It won't work with these people. I scratched my head. I said, That's strange. I tried it three times, it worked every time, never failed once. That's strange that it won't work here. I want to tell you, love and a broken heart and tears and a clean life will work anywhere if you need to get people saved. Oh, this helpless one. Now here were the helping ones. I wish I had time uh, to talk to you about these four men. Young man came to me one time and he said, you know, isn't it strange, this is in the Bible, about these four wonderful men brought this man to Jesus, and when the Lord saw their faith, he just said to the man, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Weren't these wonderful men? He said, isn't it strange that their, their names are not given in the Bible? I said, yes, it is. Maybe we ought to take care of that. So I said, let's name them. I named one of them prayer. You know, there's some folks say, 
You don't need to pray for sinners. Paul didn't feel that way. He said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I want to tell you, God hears prayers about lost people. I said, let's call one of them compassion. Oh, these men love. Oh, how they love. Let's call one compassion. Let's call one determination. They were quartet. I'm positive there was one fellow in that crowd, knowing human nature like you know it. There must have been one fellow that when they got there and they couldn't get in, he said, now, now listen, boys, we've done all we can do. You know, you can only go so far. We better, let's turn around and take him back home. But there must have been somebody, someone in that quartet who said no. We set out to get him to Jesus. Come what will, we're not going to let the devil keep us from getting this man to Jesus. If we have to tear this whole house down, we're going to get this man to Jesus. You always have someone um, who wants to help. I, I like to call the fourth one faith, and I'm just hurrying to get through. There were the hindering ones. You'll always, listen, I know preachers that are hindrance to getting people saved. I know deacons that are hindrance to getting people saved. I know people that call themselves fundamentalists and the Christians and carry a Bible who are, are hindering the work of God and keeping people from getting saved. You'll always have them. You'll always have the crowd who doesn't care, the circumstances uh, which seem impossible. You'll always have the clergy and the hair splitters. They were all there and in the way. But uh, they overcame just the same. Let me hurry. I was in St. Petersburg, Florida years ago in a conference just uh, similar to this. A man said to me, can I come to your room this afternoon? I need you to pray with me. He said, my wife and I will be there in the cane. He said, uh, we're going to be in this town three days. We want to win somebody to the Lord. He said, pray with me so we had prayer. He went to, out of my room in the motel to the, to the gasoline station. And he started talking to the man that filled his tank. And the, the cars were coming and going. The man said, sir, I'm sorry. Yeah, this, uh, this friend said, I'm a preacher. I'm in a conference. He said, a man named Tom Malone's preaching tonight and so forth. And the man said, I'm sorry, I have to go. You see, we're busy. And so he, he turned away. And the man went on his way, my preacher friend. That night we were in the service. And the man, one of the ushers, uh, felt led of of God, I guess, to go back in the back of the building. said he never went back there during the service. He went back in another part of the remote part of the building, and the phone rang, and he picked it up, and the man said, Is this such and such a church? Yes. Is Tom Malone a, a preacher, a preacher, preacher there tonight? Yes. He said, And you're located where? And he told him, said, Thank you. While I was preaching uh, in the early part of my message, I saw a big tall man dressed in coveralls. And a young man with him in the cane. I saw the ushers help him to look around. And then he said, that's the man. And they brought him down and seated him near my friend who talked to him. When the invitation was given, of course he came and with his 16-year-old son. I did something I don't usually do. They led them to the Lord. And I said, sir, would you, I want you to say a word. He came up and this man said, <coughs> My name is Pete Harmer. I own several filling stations. He said, I have everything 
that as far as this world's good is concerned, I have everything that I'll ever need. But he said, a man came today. He said, he asked me, if I die, where would I spend eternity? And he said, I let him get away. He said, we called and called and called till we found this church. And he turned to his son and he said, Paul, you know this is the truth, don't you? We called and called. We wanted to find this church tonight. And his son nodded his head. And then that big man said, you know, there are a lot of peat farmers in this town. And he said, I guess they're everywhere. They have everything but one. And that's God. He said, I want to thank God for a man that came to my place today to tell me about Jesus. God bless you.